you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Galatians. We're continuing our series called Centered. And I want to remind you as well, we helped to plant a church in Kempner this year called Watershed Church, and they are studying through the same series with us. So if you've kind of been on the fence praying about joining them or jumping in with them, I'd encourage you to, to consider partnering with those guys and uh, just know that there's kind of more unity even than normal right now as we're studying together. Uh, Kyle and I are kind of studying the passage together and following the same track with the sermon series. So just exciting to see what God's doing over there. Um, I'll listen to his sermon and then I'll be like, man, I wish I'd said it that way. But anyway, just encourage you to come check, check them out. Encourage them at least if you can't be over there, pray for them uh, as it's exciting to see a new church getting established and getting to be a part of that. So um, we appreciate y'all's, y'all's part that you play in that as well. In Galatians, we've been asking the question, what centers us? Uh, what's our compass point? What, what directs us? That's really the question we keep coming back to. And Paul keeps saying it's, it's Jesus. It's just good news about Jesus. That's what directs us. That's what uh, helps us to figure out which way is up in life. This week, he's focusing around the kind of the concept of tribe. So we're calling it faith-centered tribe. Um, what, what happens with these Judaizers, these people that have come in to Galatia, they're preying on the insecurities of these Gentiles, right? We all know what it's like to feel like an outsider. Uh, some of us more than others. Uh, some of us, sometimes we, we think uh, if we come from a really good family, we're, we're tempted to kind of be prideful in that and think that that's enough, right? That our family is enough, our background is enough. Some of us came from a really rough background and we just have this constant insecurity about it. Whichever side of the map you come from, what Paul is saying here is that the the real tribe that matters is the tribe of faith. And and you are grafted in by faith. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you grew up. It doesn't matter what your background is. If you trust God, you're going to be okay. If you trust God, you're going to be okay. And so he helps alleviate that that insecurity that these, these Judaizers were were heightening. They were making it worse. They're saying, you Gentiles aren't good enough. You have to look like us. You have to join our tribe first before you can make it to God. And, and Paul says, no, you can just, you just come to God directly by faith because of what Jesus has done. So that's what he's doing here. He's, he's kind of flipping their argument against them here in chapter 3. Um, we're going to look at verses 6 through 14. And what Paul is going to lay out is how Abraham was a man of faith, and that came before any of those laws that Moses laid out. Before any of that happened in God's economy, before Moses hit the scene, before the laws came in, Abraham was there first. And Abraham was a man of faith. So Paul's going to argue that faith comes first, and that's how we're connected to God. That's how we're in the inner circle. We're in God's family by faith. Faith-centered tribe. So verses 6 through 14. Verse 6 is kind of the transition. It's ending Last week's passage, beginning this week's passage, it says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So everything he's already said before about grace through faith, Abraham embodies that. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. 
Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The Gentiles, again, remember that just means the nations. It means the non-Jews. So really, most of us, those who were born in the wrong family, the wrong tribe, he says, we're in by faith. We're in by faith, just by trusting God's goodness to us. So let me pray for us, and we'll uh, look at this in more detail. God, we thank you for your word. We receive it as a gift, and we Thank you that, that this scandalous good news is that, that we can be in your family just by trusting what you've done. And God, there's, there's a lot of different reasons we resist that. I, I don't know every excuse we have in this room, but you do, and we ask for your spirit to join us this morning to help us to listen. God, help us to be open-minded uh, to the good news of your grace towards us. Help us to have ears of faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the the title is Faith-Centered Tribe. The idea is that we're in the right tribe by faith. We belong to God by faith. By trusting what He's done, we're in. We're in His family. We're in His tribe. We're in the right place. We're okay. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about a a great story that probably a lot of you are familiar with, The Jungle Book. Have you all ever seen the movie, The Jungle Book? Some of you? Just five of you. Man, you all are not well read or watched or whatever that would be. Okay. So you need to rush out and watch this video uh, this afternoon. Um, But in the Jungle Book, you have this boy who is found just kind of on his own as a baby, right? He's lost his parents somehow, and this uh, very kind Black Panther feels sorry for him and takes him and brings him to a wolf family that adopts him. So the wolf tribe adopts Mowgli, this little boy, right? And that works for a while. He makes it to the age of 10 Basically thinks he's an animal, he's raised in the jungle, raised by wolves, a lot of you know what that's like. And at the age of 10, Bagheera, the kind Black Panther, realizes that this tiger is coming to the jungle and wants to kill him, right? Because the man is, you know, humans are the only real enemies of the tiger, so tiger's like, I'm coming after that boy, I'm going to kill him, the word gets out. So he decides it's no longer safe for him to remain in this other tribe with the wolves, he needs to go where he's safe, where he can really thrive, where he can have life, the proper tribe. He needs to be adopted back into a human settlement now, and he needs to rejoin his people. So Bagheera takes him, and he's, you know, basically the whole movie is this journey of Mowgli resisting the tribe that's going to be the place where he finds life and health, because he has all these other distractions. There's all these other places he wants to go, but Bagheera loves him, and continually comes back to him, gives up on him, comes back to him, gives up on him, comes back to him, and keeps taking him to that tribe. At first, Mowgli wants to divert and join the elephant tribe, right? He wants to become a part of the elephants, but that doesn't work out. He can't join the elephants. And then he finds this bear, Baloo. Do you all remember Baloo, Bear Necessities? Great classic song. And uh, then he wants to join the Baloo, Baloo the bear. And that doesn't really work out either. And then these monkeys kidnap him. The monkeys want him to join their tribe, not because they love Mowgli, but because they think they can get something out of him, right? The monkeys think they can become men by learning the secret of fire, and so that's why they want Mowgli in their tribe. And I, I thought this was this is maybe a stretch, but that reminded me of what Paul says about the false teachers in Galatians. 
He, he says these guys want you in their tribe not because they care about you. They just, they just want more followers. They want to get stuff out of you. They selfishly want you. They don't really love you. And so there's all these beautiful things that we learn from the Jungle Book. And in the end, he, he finally makes it to the human tribe. But you know why? He makes it because he falls in love. He falls in love with a girl. And I have to tell you, when I was six years old, that ending made no sense to me <laughs> at all. If you've seen the movie and you're like a little kid watching, you're like, this was a great movie until now. What is going on? He's like following after this girl that's singing. It made, I, didn't, I just didn't get it. I was like, what happened? It's like they changed authors or something. Now I understand it. Now I get it, right? He finally gets to where he needs to, to be because of love. And you've got the love of the panther throughout the movie. You've got him falling in love with this girl at the end of the movie. But, but by love, he's finally in the right place. And that's the gospel story is that we, we only make it to the right place by, by God's love for us by us recognizing that love. And, and faith is us loving God and recognizing his love for us. Seeing that God really cares about us. That he's really done what it takes to give us life. And so finally we're in that right tribe, but, it, but it's not because of what we look like. It's not because of our culture. It's not because of our neighborhood. It's, it's because of trusting him. Faith is trusting in God. And, and what Paul is arguing here is the only way we can be in the right tribe is by faith. You can't do enough things. You can't, uh, you can't be strong enough. You can't be smart enough. You can't be fast enough to be in the right tribe. It's by faith. It's by trusting God. Same way it worked for Abraham is how it works for us. So the first thing that he hits in his argument is that faith connects us to Abraham. So this is a great kind of jujitsu move here where he uses uh, the Judaizers' weight against them. He flips them and he, he wins the argument here, right? Because they're saying uh, God is at work through the Old Testament Scriptures. God is at work through the Jews. And Paul says, well, yeah, but Abraham came before all those Mosaic regulations. Abraham came before Moses gave the law in Exodus and Leviticus, right? Abraham comes before that. So what Paul is saying is it was always by faith. And he's going to talk more about how these covenants interact as we move through Galatians. But for now, he's just saying Abraham was a man of faith. And if you want to be connected to the right tribe, well, he was a faith guy. He wasn't a works guy. He was a faith guy. He, he trusted God's promise. So look at this. Faith connects us to Abraham. Verses 6 through 9 introduces this argument. So in 6, he's kind of capping off what he said before that, that you don't uh, get justified, you don't find life by works or by your flesh, but you get it through the Spirit by faith. Hearing with faith, right? That's where we were last week. He kind of beat this drum again and again and again and again. And then he says, just like Abraham, he throws out Abraham as the model of this hearing with faith, receiving the promised spirit, receiving life, receiving forgiveness, salvation, righteousness. We get that by trust, hearing with faith, hearing the message, hearing the promise. He says, just as Abraham, verse 6, believed God, trusted God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Uh, that word counted, sometimes it's translated credited and a theological word a lot of people like to use is imputed. And the idea there is that that status of righteousness is given to Abraham because he trusts God. And that's the same way it works for us. We trust God and he gives us the status as his perfect son. We're adopted into his family. We're in the tribe by faith, just like Abraham was. He goes on in verse 7 and he says, Know then that it's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So if you want to be adopted into this tribe, you have to have faith like Abraham. You don't fulfill all the Mosaic regulations. Abraham didn't even have those. Moses had not come yet. 
So that's why this is such a uh, destructive argument here that Paul is using. He just skips hundreds of years back before Moses and says, it's always been by faith. It's always been by faith. It's always been about trusting God. Verse 8, this, he gets even stronger here. Look at verse 8. It says, In the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So he says Abraham got the gospel and he trusted in it by faith. It says, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So Paul's saying that was the gospel. It was preached ahead of time to Abraham. Now we have to kind of sort this out a little bit in our head. That's a little confusing because we tend to think of the gospel in very strict terms in post-Jesus terms where we live of the gospel is a good, mu- uh, good news of Jesus, right? It's the message of Jesus for us. Paul says it very explicitly in 1 Corinthians 15. This is my gospel. Jesus, according to the scriptures, sacrificed for us, for our sins. He died. He rose again. He appeared to other people. So Paul outlines that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 very clearly says, this is my gospel, this story about Jesus. So the same Paul then says, and the gospel is preached to Abraham. So the, the way I would explain it is this, is the big idea of God saving us and God saving the whole world was already foreshadowed, was already preached ahead of time to Abraham. Abraham just didn't have all the details. Abraham didn't know Jesus' name and what year he was going to be born, that he was going to die on a cross, but Abraham knew somehow that God was going to save the world. So... We have, the, we have the how, we have the details in Jesus. Those are the details of the gospel. But the big idea of the gospel, of a God that's going to save the world, that we need to trust in that God by faith, Abraham already had that. And so we're, we're brothers with Abraham. We're part of the same tribe. We're part of this tribe of faith, this tribe of people that trust God instead of trusting ourselves. So again, he says it this way. God would justify the Gentiles, give them the status of righteousness, Uh, And again, the Gentiles are all the nations that are not Jews. He's going to do this by faith. And he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So the details of how God blesses the whole world, saves the whole world through Abraham, the details are, well, that comes through Christ, who is from the lineage of Abraham. And Christ is the sacrifice. He's the one that makes it all work. Christ is the one that makes everything that God said to Abraham make sense. Christ is the one that makes everything that God said to Moses make sense. Christ is the one that makes everything that God said to King David make sense. He's the one that ties all of these promises together. Only Christ fulfills all of those covenant promises that were made in the past. In verse 9, so then his conclusion is, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So the blessing comes by faith doesn't come by fulfilling all those regulations that came later. It comes by faith. It comes by trusting God, just like it did for Abraham. So that's this brilliant move where he kind of turns them on their head. The Judaizers are coming along and they're coming to us, you know, dumb pagans, and they're saying, hey, you're not good enough. And we're thinking, well, yeah, I did kind of come from a screwed up family. I guess they're right. Maybe I do need to follow all these Jewish regulations. I'm not good enough. I need to be more holy. And yeah, you know. There's this whole Old Testament thing. Maybe I've got to fulfill all this. And Paul says, hold on. Abraham, he's, he's where it all started, and he was a man of faith. He was basically a Gentile, just like we are. He, he became God's man by faith, by trusting God. And Paul says that's the same way it works for us. Verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham. We're in the same family. We're in his tribe. He's the man of faith. So what 
what gets us in the door? What makes us okay? What adopts us into the family? Uh, I had friends uh, who have adopted. We have a lot of families that adopt here. We like to promote that, encourage that, because God says um, His love is displayed as we care for orphans and widows. And what happens when an adoption takes place is the birth certificate's actually changed, right? A new family status is counted for that child. A new family status is imputed upon that child. That child is now in a new family. That's, that's how adoption works. I have a picture of an adoption or a birth certificate here. So if, if you're adopted, your birth certificate's actually changed. You get a new birth certificate that declares your new status. Similar to what happens in the gospel, we are declared to be in the family of God by God's action, by what he does. And we have to trust that. We have to believe that. And so as we think about what this looks like, just an application question is, what do you think qualifies you? What do you think uh, it is that you're relying on to be okay? I think that's the application for us because we're going to rely on a lot of other things besides God's promise to be okay. It's going to look different for all of us, right? We're going to struggle in different ways. But what is it you're trusting in to be in? To no longer be an outsider anymore. What's the thing you're thinking? If I could just... If I could just look this way, then I'd be in. If I could just talk this way, then I'd be If I could just have this education, then I'll be an insider. I won't be an outsider anymore. If I could have this job, if I could have this much money, if I could have this much retirement, if I could have this much respect, if I could have a better relationship, then I'd really be loved. Then I'd really be in the family. Then I'd be an insider. What are those things you struggle? We all struggle with different things like that. I thought it might be helpful to just use a silly... Uh, illustration, because a lot of times, like when you're a teenager, it's having the right outfit. I, I can remember that when I was a kid. Um, we grew up poor, and so I can remember thinking, man, if I could just have enough money to wear like, you know, that brand name shirt or whatever, if I could afford the right clothes, then then I would be in. So, you know, I wanted to go back in time a little bit in the 80s. This is what it looked like for us. Um, this is a picture out of the JCPenney catalog from, I don't know, 85, 89. I don't know when this was. And, and I, I use this because it's kind of a goofy picture. And, and what, what happens is any of you that have, you know, lived longer than 25 years, you can look back on outfits that you used to think were awesome, and now you look back on them and think, I looked silly, right? That, that happens to all of us. It, if you're only 20, it hasn't happened yet. But it, once you get past a certain age, you look back in time and you go, that was the coolest thing in the world 10 years ago, and now I think it looks ridiculous. Like that's, so it's just a great illustration of, Something that we think externally will make us okay, will clothe our shame, and then it ends up causing shame later, right? I mean, that it ends up embarrassing us later on. So there's, there's this idea that no matter what it is, uh, no matter what it is that you think is going to make you okay, is going to connect you to the right tribe, is going to get you into the family, Paul's saying here, the way Abraham got in was by faith, by trusting God and his promise. He preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm going to save the world. Trust me. Abraham trusted him, and it was credited to him as righteous. Righteousness. It was a status conferred to him, credited to him, accounted to him. The question is, what are we relying on? Are we relying on God's promise, or are we relying on those other things? Our job, our relationships, our respect, our whatever it may be. What do you think is going to get you in the door? The next thing that we see is that faith works and law does not. Paul begins to make kind of a pragmatic argument here. Faith works and law doesn't actually work. 
if you think law works, you're kind of missing the fine print. Uh, in verse 10, this is in verse 10 through 12, he says it this way, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. That sounds bad, right? Um, so the Judaizers are coming along saying, you need to rely on the works of the law. Jesus is not enough. You need Jesus plus these other things to improve you. And Paul says, if you rely on the works of the law, you're under a curse. He explains himself more here as he goes on. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things in the book of the law and do them. He's quoting that from Deuteronomy 27. There's several quotes here. We see quote marks. He's quoting Old Testament passages. So, so what he's saying is the fine print is if you want to follow this law system, you have to do it perfectly. And if you don't do it perfectly, you fail. Y'all, are y'all like me and you hate trying to read all the fine print and contracts? You ever, like how many of you, I, I surveyed earlier, how many of you have actually read all the fine print in a software agreement that you, you agree to? Anybody here actually read the whole thing? couple. Okay. A couple of you back there. Software guy. Computer engineer in the back. Okay. Um, I found, I, for real, he is. For, I, found, uh, I found this online. This is like an iPhone software update. And so it's going through all the details. And then in the, this is like a fake one. It says, oh, you know what? This is page 46. Nobody's still reading this. I bet only five people have clicked on this. Tony on floor number five of Apple headquarters smells like sardines. Blah, blah, blah. You know, and they're kind of going on saying silly stuff. The idea is that they're burying this you know, weird stuff that we don't get into the fine print. Some of us have been stung by that kind of thing in contracts or agreements. We didn't really realize what we were getting ourselves into. What Paul says is the law covenant, built into the law covenant, says if you're not absolutely perfect and righteous, you're failing the standards of that perfect righteousness. Another way to say it is, if you think you're going to be saved by being perfect you better be perfect. If you think you're going to be saved by being perfect, you better be perfect. And Paul says, and that doesn't really work out for people. There's another way, and that's Jesus perfect for us. Jesus sacrifice for us. One of the ways this goes wrong for us a lot of times is we create a law and we, we shrink down the demands of God's law. So we don't really read all the details of God's law. We say, I think I get God's law and here's the part of God's law that I fulfill. And we kind of we kind of make a new law based on our own strengths, right? This is why this is so dangerous. This is where religious judgmentalism comes in. What you do is you say, well, yeah, this is what righteousness looks like, and I do this and this and this, and then I kind of ignore all these other things I'm bad at, right? And so whatever you're good at, the strengths of your flesh become a law, and you begin justifying yourself by that, and you become you begin judging other people by that too. Like, I'm good at the things that really matter. The things I'm bad at, well, those don't really matter. And so I'm going to justify myself, and I'm going to judge the people around me that, that aren't gifted in the same ways I am. And that's all the backbiting and judgmentalism that happens in religion. God says the standards of his law and his holiness are absolute, and none of us meet those standards. So Paul's warning is it doesn't work. But just being perfect doesn't work for us because we're sinners. We all fall short. Romans 3.23 says, all fall short of the glory of God. So in verse 11, he goes on, he says, now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. So now he quotes Habakkuk 2.4, which is a, a prophecy or a prophet writing in the Mosaic Covenant. 
So this guy that lives during the Mosaic Covenant, right? Earlier, Paul just skipped back before it to Abraham and said, Abraham was by faith, and we know that hasn't changed, so we're still saved by faith. And now he goes into the middle of the Mosaic Covenant, and he says, Habakkuk says, the righteous shall live by faith. So even during the Mosaic Covenant, people were saved by faith. And if people thought they could be saved by fulfilling all the details of the Mosaic Covenant, they were going to fail because no one was that perfect. They're either going to walk away from it completely, right? That's, that's rebellion. We just say, forget it. That's where we give up on religion. Or they're going to do it by false religion and say, yeah, I'm good enough. I'm better than all those bad people over there. And I'm going to begin judging them for it. And neither one of those is, is really being righteous. So Habakkuk says, the righteous shall live by faith. And then that's in parallel to his next quote, Leviticus 18.5, he says this. So in verse 11, the righteous shall live by faith. And then he quotes uh, Leviticus. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So here he's setting up the, the word live is, is exactly the same word form here. The rest of the sentences don't really seem parallel. But basically he's saying there's two ways to live. There's a way of living that's trusting God. Trusting God to give you life. And then there's a way of living that says, I can do it. I can fulfill this code of righteousness. He says that those are two ways to live. And living according to the law works if you're perfect, but none of us are. None of us are. We just fulfill our part and think that's enough. But he's saying it's, it's not enough. The, the, law is, the law is not bad. The law is good. It, it points out God's standards of holiness. But the law is not good as a way to save us. The law is not good as a system of righteousness for us. It, it's a mirror that shows us that we're broken or an, or an x-ray that shows us that we're broken. It, it points out how we fall short. Um, so my question for us is, are you making a new law for yourself? Or have you just thrown out law completely? How, how have you dealt with that in your life? Like I said, kind of the, the anti-religious way to deal with it is just say, forget law, I'm going to follow my own heart. You know what we've done there? We've created a new law, and I'm king. My heart then, become, my desires become king. My heart becomes king. We're just following a new law. Or we, we go to God's law in the Bible, and we say, I'm going to follow it, and I'm going to do it right. But we throw out half of it, and we just, we just keep half of it, and lie, and say we're keeping all of it. Those are really the two options. Or we can trust God. Or we can take the option of faith. So what he's saying here is that faith actually works. Law Law doesn't really work. Uh, U2 has a, one of their recent songs talks about this concept of the internal wrestling we have. It's a song called The Troubles. And they say you think it's easier to put your finger on the trouble when the trouble is you. And you think it's easier to know your own tricks. Well, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. And, and what he talks about is this, this problem of just because just you've labeled what the problem is doesn't mean you can fix it. And that's all the law does. The law just says, you're a sinner. But it, it doesn't enable us to fix it. Jesus comes in and fixes it for us. He is our rescue. So faith works in the sense that we actually begin to fulfill the requirements of the law by faith because once we've trusted in this status of righteousness that he gives us, our heart changes and we actually love God and want to do what's right. Before, we were either running full speed away from his standards or we were lying 
Right? Those are the two options. Apart from faith, you're either lying or you're running as hard as you can away from God's standards of righteousness. But by faith, you trust that, yeah, I can't do it, but God did it for me. And so now, every day I'm going to get up, repent, and try again. One of the best images, I think, for this of how this actually works towards helping us be righteous is an image from the book called The Cure by John Lynch. He wrote another book called True Faced that, that came before that book with a lot of the same stuff in it. Um, but in this book, he has this picture where he says, most of us, when we're looking at our sin, we think of it as separating us from God. Reasonable. But what Christ did was he bridged that gap, right? He, he died for our sins to bring us to God. So by faith, we can be in union with him, right? So we have this credited righteousness, just like Abraham, by, by trusting him, he confers on us the status of righteousness. He brings us into his family. And so Lynch says a better way to picture Jesus and our sin is now we're in his family by faith, so he's got his arm around us, and we're going to work on the sin stuff together, right? So we'll actually do right things. We'll actually begin to change because he's got his arm around us. So, so that's my question for you. Do you see him as over there, or, or, and, and you need to work on your sin to get to him? Paul says, you'll never finish. You'll never finish. You'll never get there. If you recognize that what Jesus did has solved the sin problem for you, then, then you're with him. By faith, you're with him. And he says, all right, I love you. I've adopted you. You're mine. I'm never going to let go of you. Let's work on this together. And then we actually begin to do right things. Right? One of the ways we lie if we're religious is we say, I've fulfilled these requirements of the law. But the law says we have to love God and love others. No amount of you know, external rule-keeping, checking the box, that we, we're not actually loving people. It's not enough. We're not really fulfilling the law. Again, we're, we're lying. But once, once we're brought into his family, that, that's what changes our hearts. That, that's when we really begin to love God. Then we really begin to love other people. Again, we're not perfect. doesn't mean you wake up the next day and you never make a mistake again. It's that you know he's brought you into his family, his arm is around you, and he's saying, we're going to work on this stuff together. And, if you, and it's not a yo-yo either, right? It's not like, oh, I messed up, so up oh, his arm's off me again. No, he's with you. You don't, you don't have to keep jumping back into his family and out of his family and into his family. No, you're in his family. Just like Abraham, by faith. If you have struggles, insecurities about your own levels of righteousness, just go read the Abraham stories. He had some serious issues, okay? And God said, he's mine by faith. Go read the stories about King David. He, he had some serious issues. He said, he's got a heart after me. And we actually become more righteous by faith, by trusting him. We actually begin to do right things. We actually begin to live the way he wants us to live. We begin to live, uh, fulfill the Ten Commandments out of love, out of grace, out of resting and knowing he's adopted us and we're in his family now. The last thing I want us to see here is that faith makes Jesus the hero. So just these last few verses, 13 and 14, last couple of verses, show us that faith makes Jesus the hero. And just a caveat, I know some of you are really concrete and uh, logical. Faith does not ontologically make Jesus into something he was not already. Okay, so that's just my little aside for the really uh, logical people. Faith helps us to see that Jesus is really the hero. He's always been the hero. Faith helps us to see that, Okay. Faith makes Jesus the hero. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So he said, if you're going to try to fulfill the law perfectly, you're under a curse because cursed is everyone who doesn't do everything written in this book of the law. And then he comes along and he says, Christ, the one guy that fulfilled the law, he was cursed for us. So again, he's turning an argument on its head. The Judaizers didn't use this argument, but other Jews, Jews that couldn't, uh, couldn't see Jesus as the Messiah said, Jesus can't be the Messiah because he hung on a tree. And the law clearly says that cursed is anyone who hung on a tree. So it's this scandal of how could the Messiah, our hero, be a loser? And Paul just hits it head on. He says, that's the gospel. Our, our hero became a loser for us. He, he took our penalty. And that's scandalous. But that's the gospel. The gospel is scandalous. He absorbed the wrath of God. He took our place. He became our substitute. He became our hero. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And this is a theme again that we saw last week in the first five verses. Now he's bringing it all back around. It's always by faith. It's never, uh, it's never by our own works. It's always by the spirit of God within us. It's never by our own flesh. It's always by what Christ did. He's the hero. We're not the hero. And we struggle with that because we want to be the hero. I have a picture here. Um, again, just to lighten the mood. Here's Abu from The Simpsons. Being a hero, diving in front of a bullet. Um, literally, in a literary sense, Jesus took the bullet for us, right? But that was, a, that was a scandalous idea for the Jews because they said the Messiah can't die. Their vision of the Messiah was more like Superman, you know, invincible, never get hurt. But God in his good pleasure said, I'm, I'm going to get hurt for you. I'm actually going to take your suffering on myself. And so in Hebrews it says we've got a high priest that's not unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but he can sympathize with us in every way. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. So he's been there. Not only is, is he this unstoppable hero that rose from the dead, but he's this hero that can sympathize with us because he's suffered. He's been betrayed in the ways that we've been betrayed. He's physically suffered in the ways that we've physically suffered. He's been there. He gets it. And he, he conquered death for us. So that makes Jesus the hero. I was excited that we sang this song earlier, Rock of Ages. It talks about what that means, him being the hero for us. It uses this phrase, the double cure. Have you heard that phrase from, from Rock of Ages? Uh, it says... Uh, From thy wounded side which flowed, be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. That's the old, the lyrics we sang. There's like varieties of it. The lyrics we sang was save me from its guilt and power. Both of those are are saying the same thing. They're just two different ways to say the same thing. And that is this double cure idea that not only are we forgiven, but we begin to change because of what he's done. And that's a big part of the argument here in Galatians. Because a lot of times people will say, well, yeah, God forgives you through Christ. You can be in the family, but then you're going to get kicked out every day, every time you mess up, right? And the way you grow is going to be by works. You're going to grow by this other system. If you want to grow, if you want to be sanctified, if you want to be purified, if you want to see sin's power weaken in your life, you need to give up on the Christianity grace thing and go to these other religions that are all about works. And Paul says, no. We grow by grace as well. It's a, it's a double cure. His, his death and resurrection for us 
saves us. It, it puts us in the family and it helps us to grow. It's the same thing that helps us to progress like we saw before. The scandal of Christianity is not just that he died for us, but I think personally a lot of times the scandal is that we don't get to be the hero. That we don't get to save ourselves. And that's what we combat. Whether we're the religious types, whether we're conservative and are already always trying to do the right thing, you know, that's a form of being the hero. Saying, I'm good enough. Or if you're a non-religious type, and you're just like, you know what, I'm going to follow my own heart, I'm going to do my own thing. Well, again, you're, you're the king of that universe. Your desires then are, are running the show, and you're the hero. In the Christian story, Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the hero. And the more we learn to read the Scripture in that way, and the more we learn to live our daily life that way, that's, that's what it means to, to live that life of faith. As we were thinking about this idea of of being in the right family and being in the right tribe. I was thinking about a song that's just been playing a lot on the radio. It's a song called Cool Kids by Echo Smith. I don't know if y'all have heard this one. Um, pop song by like a, a band of teenagers, literally. I looked them up. They're teenagers. Um, but here are the lyrics of the song. She says, uh, she sees them walking in a straight line. That's not really her style. And they all got the same heartbeat, but hers is falling behind. Nothing in this world could ever bring them down. Yeah, they're invincible, and she's just in the background. And she says, I wish that I could be like the cool kids, because all the cool kids, they seem to fit in. I wish that I could be like the cool kids, like the cool kids. And arguably, it's got a good good beat, and it's a catchy tune, but I think it's hitting on something in the lyrics there that we can all relate to. There's this idea that... (laughs) especially hard when you're a teenager, but even as an adult, you just feel like, I'm, just, I'm on the outside. How, how do I get in? There's something wrong with me. And the Bible says, yeah, there's something wrong with all of us. Universally, it's called sin. We don't love God as we should. We don't love other people as we should. And God invites you in. You're in the right family. You're in the inner circle. C.S. Lewis wrote about this, talked about that inner ring syndrome, right? Of wanting to break in, but you just can't seem to break in and trying to figure out how to get into that inner circle. And God says, I want you in my inner circle. You're in by faith. Trust me. I love you. Come on in. The door is open. There's an old hymn by James Proctor that I I read in a book by Keller. He says this, Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone, gloriously complete. Let me read that one more time. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in Him and in Him alone, gloriously complete. He's our only hope. He's our only hope to be in the family. He's our only hope to live differently, to grow, to change. Let me pray for us. God, thank You that You love us. Thank You that You came after us. And God, this, this news is almost too good to be true. But we thank You that this is a story that is true. This is the best story. I pray that you'd help us to cling to you by faith, to trust that you love us in Jesus. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.